0: Hey, folks, thanks for joining me for this episode from the Embellished Pod. It's an opportunity for me to ramble about whiskey or something for a few minutes. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. Hopefully I can be found on any podcasting platform that exists. And if you can't find me on a platform, send me an email at g- embellishpod at gmail.com and I'll get that taken care of. You can also find video versions of these podcasts on YouTube. You can find all of my links on Instagram at EmbellishPod or TikTok with the same handle. Uh, I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com. It's also a place to pick up these links, episode details, and more. Um, this afternoon, I have uh, Jim from Liberty Pole Spirits joining me. Um, I hope you guys enjoy the conversation. All right, this morning, this afternoon, I have Jim from Liberty Liberty Pole Spirits joining me. Um, I, I'll, I'll do credit uh, the folks from American Mash and Grain, Devin and Chase told me, you know, months ago, they were like, hey, you need to be paying attention to what Liberty Pole is doing uh, in the whiskey world. And so I put it on my list of things to achieve and um, reached out to Jim. Jim said, absolutely, I'll hop on. And, you know, that's uh, what I really like about this industry. So if you would, uh, Jim, just kind of give us the you know the elevator speech on on what Liberty Pole is uh, and uh, what you guys are doing.
1: Yeah, I'd be happy to. And, uh, you know, first of all, thanks to. Devin and Chase, uh, you know, we we really like those guys. We like what they're doing. They did uh, what I thought was one of the best long form pieces on Liberty Pole that you know has been done. So kudos to them, um, and look forward to meeting them when I go to Denver in a month. Um, yeah, Liberty Pole. We're a um, we're about an eight year old family owned craft whiskey distillery in the suburbs of Southwest Pennsylvania, about forty minutes south of Pittsburgh. Uh, we're a proud whiskey-only distillery. Um, you know, we honor the the heritage, the history of you know the whiskey rebellion and those rebellious farmers of the 18th century that that um, you know took it upon themselves to protest Alexander Hamilton's uh, tax on distilled spirits and. Um, you know, we, we we take a lot of pride in, in being from Pennsylvania. We take a lot of pride in in just the really rich, rich whiskey heritage that we have here. And you know, when, when we were putting our business plan together, you know, it was a no brainer to to focus on whiskey. And and to this day, that's uh that's pretty much all we do.
0: You know, and, and you touched on something. I think maybe uh, the Whiskey Rebellion is this is this sort of almost it has become almost a footnote in American history, but it's a pretty significant thing. And uh, maybe that's the next musical that uh, Lin Manuel needs to write is the Whiskey Rebellion musical, so we can uh, see the other side of, of Hamilton at this point. It might be a little fun there. But um, you guys are um, fa- largely family owned or largely family operated, right? Um, right. so you've, you've slowly integrated your family into this particular, um, hobby turned job, I think maybe is the right, is the right way to frame that. Yeah, no, that's, that's,
1: that's a hundred percent right. I was a, uh, a, a hobby distiller. The statute of limitations is over on, on my owning and operating a still, but, um, I, I had a, you know, I had just a, a, a nice little 15-gallon backyard copper still that um, you know that I operated for about 10 years. Uh, you know, it was a bonding experience with my two sons. Uh, you know, at that point they were middle-aged, but they were science kids, and and they really enjoyed the the science and technology of fermentation and um, distillation. So so they were caught up in it, and you know they went off to college and they they finished up their engineering degrees and you know, started their own careers. And at the time I was like winding down on my career and, and I, you know, I, 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 probably had seven to eight years before I could comfortably retire. And I just, at that point, you know, really didn't enjoy going to work on a daily basis, wasn't enjoying what I was doing. Um, kind of saw the rise of craft distilling at that point had, you know, become a pretty adept, uh, a decent whiskey maker. And, talk my wife and, uh, you know, hey, this would be a good career 2.0 for us. And, you know, I could could work out a a bit of a runway um, to exit my career and still maintain a bit of, you know, healthcare coverage. And we could start this distillery as a part-time operation. And, you know, shortly after we did that, we realized it was, we took off too big of a bite and uh, we were looking to hire somebody. And that's when my son's Said, yeah, you know what? You're not going to hire anybody. We want to. We want to come and work there. So, so they left their engineering careers about two months into into the start of the distillery, and eight years later, we're still at it, and things are going well.
0: So, I guess you know, you you you, you had an entire career before you came to this, and it had absolutely nothing to do with whiskey in a direct line. What what got distilling into your brain, even as a, as a hobbyist, you know, uh, my, my dad uh, homebrewed beer for a long time, but he never was like, you know what, I'm going to start up a microbrewery, you know?
1: Yeah. You know, I, not naivete, uh, is, is kind of the best answer that, that I can give on <laughs> why, why, uh, you know, why we decided to take it to a business, but, you know, more importantly, and I think your question was why distilling? Um, and it was really, you know, again, back to my, my family, my my sons wanted to get me a um you know a, a home brewing kit for a Father's Day gift, and my wife uh, suggested that you know your dad really doesn't drink much beer, but he's really developing a a taste for whiskey. Why don't you know why don't we find see if we can find him a a hobby still, uh, and that's kind of that's kind of what started the the passion. And you know once once you get into it and once you start experimenting and and getting better and, and it just becomes it's a rabbit hole
0: yeah and it, it's always interesting to hear that you know like mom saves the day right and doesn't end up you don't end up with oh. a beer kit for beer that you don't really want to make which i guess you technically have like you know a distilling kit is maybe a third of a beer kit and then two-thirds of other stuff um what it's easy to know, at least in Kentucky, you know, where people's whiskey journey starts almost always it's going to be maker's mark or something like that. But for, uh, for you, like, what was the the gateway into getting into whiskey? Was it, was it American whiskey? Was it scotch? Was it Japanese? Was it, um, something else?
1: Yeah, it was Irish whiskey. I I was, uh, you know, I'm, I've got some Irish heritage and, um, you know, grew up with Jameson in the house and, uh, um, you just started really developing uh, a, a taste for Irish whiskeys, you know, not only Jameson, but, you know, the spots and tealing and, and, you know, there's, there's just a, a ton of, you know, wonderful Irish whiskeys. And, and that was really the start of my whiskey journey.
0: And so you guys, I I think I've read this correctly, Um, you've historically operated off of a pot still. Is that um, trying to stay in that vein of, of, you know, honoring the heritage of Irish whiskey or even, you know, just whiskey in general? Because a lot of it was um, pot still or is that you prefer the flavor or, you know, what's the what's the ethos there?
1: So, you know, I I think any craft distiller um, at startup, you know, is kind of forced into a pot still just because of the. You know the the cost and and the you know the availability of pot distillation. But you know, in our case, um, we we really we really love the flavor of pot distilled whiskey. We think we think pot distilled whiskey um, is a superior whiskey. Um, you know, we just underwent an expansion. and you know at at this level of expansion that we did, you know, a lot of craft distillers, Um, might consider bringing in a a column just for the efficiency gains Um, but you know we 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 refuse to do that you know we had our our equipment vendors trying to talk us into it but um, we you know we're just focused on on pot and and that's what we will always be
0: you know and I think uh, at least for, for for pot still whiskey you know it's It feels like that whiskey becomes a place where science and art merge together. And it really depends on what your distillation method is, is where that art happens. Right. And so for people who are using pot, it does begin at the pot. Whereas with a column distillation, maybe the artistry begins in the aging and in the blending and all of the things that sort of happen afterwards, because you're really just trying to get. Um, the most alcohol you can out um, that still retains some sort of flavor. And so it it makes sense on a, on a scale of, you know, kind of wanting to explore some degree of artistry, but you mentioned you guys have a new distillery in a new location. Um, There's a really, really great video on YouTube and I'll probably put the link here of a drone fly through of everything. So tell me about your expansion and, and, and what that's like going from non-existent eight years ago to building what I think you've you've uh, deemed the largest Rick house in the state of Pennsylvania
1: yes and, and to qualify that John it's it's actually the only Rick house oh, in the yeah. state of Pennsylvania so so it makes it the largest um, you know it, it, it's 3600 barrel capacity uh, we had the guys from Busick construction in Bardstown uh, come up and and construct that for us and you know they they were they were both you know ad- admiring what we were doing but kind of laughing at at the size of it given that you know their typical rick house is 30 40000 barrels um, they told us that this was the smallest five floor rick house that they've ever done they've built some smaller ones with fewer barrel capacity but not a five floor rick house so this is the five the, the smallest capacity five story rick house they've ever built um and um that that was fun, but yeah to, i mean you know to to undertake this expansion it it was you know it was definitely a, a lot of angst filled um, months to to plan and to think about you know making this move, but you know we're kind of in a situation that you know we only make whiskey, so you know if if we ever want to expand our distribution beyond Pennsylvania, and right now we are only available in western Pennsylvania. You know, it, it's a long journey. It's a you got to make a lot of whiskey. You got to store it, age it for a lot of years. And you know, we we would have never been able to accomplish that in our old location. We didn't have the dis- distillation capacity. We didn't have the storage ability. Uh, so you know, it it just became a question of you know, are we happy, kind of being a, a very small local craft, or did we want to, you know, not not necessarily. You know, play with the big boys, but just get to a point where, you know, we could distribute to the eastern side of Pennsylvania and maybe we could get into Ohio and New York. And, you know, we're not we're not looking to be a national uh, player, but, you know, we we did have some some larger goals that we couldn't accomplish in a smaller place.
0: So what is your, I guess, you know, you've got a 3,600 barrel capacity. What is your um, distilling capacity? Like, do you have a projection on how long before you're going to be filled up in your rickhouse?
1: Yeah. So we have, we have about 900 barrels in the rickhouse now, and that's, you know, that is a combination of the barrels that we filled in our old location. Plus what we've done since we've opened uh in July, Uh our, our, our capacity, uh, or our production capacity is about 700 barrels a year. So, you know, so we still have, uh, several years of, um, you know, growth in that existing house before we, you know, before we have any issues about, you know, filling it up.
0: Yeah. And it, it, I mean, it, it obviously looks that way and, um, having, you know, that much storage enables you to do probably a lot more, um, experiments and you know just a little peace of mind that you have the ability to grow um you mentioned you're only available in in western pennsylvania um is there any online retailers that have um, allocations of this that they can they can sell out of
1: no no we we haven't um we haven't approached uh any online retailers yet you know we're we're just kind of trying to walk that fine line of you know being able to bottle and sell enough whiskey locally to, to keep the lights on while continuing to let our barrels, you know, uh, age. Um, you know, we just looked at some numbers the other day. We're, right now, we, we have been bottling about 38% of our available mature whiskey. And when I say mature whiskey, um, you know, we're, we're taking three to four-year-old barrels at this point and Mm -hmm. um so of those three to four year old barrels that we have we're only using about 38 percent of them right now uh to you know to sell in our in our distillery and in the pennsylvania fine wine and good spirits store system you know pennsylvania pennsylvania is a control state the state Mm -hmm. controls all spirit sales so between those two main outlets um that's what we're doing you know if, if we if we went with an online distribute distributor. Um, We're just, we would just be worried we'd have to dip further into those barrels. And, and we're really trying to get to that minimum four-year-old 53 gallon barrel whiskey uh, and hope to do that in the next year or so.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you have a sort of like a, a, a ceiling of of age that you're going after or you don't know yet?
1: We don't know yet. Um, You know, I, 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 I put a lot of stock into what the Kentucky master distillers like Jimmy Russell, um, Freddie, no uh, say that, you know, seven to eight years is kind of a, I think a sweet spot for American whiskey and a new charred barrel. So, you know, we'd like to let some barrels get to that age and kind of see where they go.
0: Yeah. And that's, I mean, you know, for, for the last few years you've been talking about owning your backyard and having the expansion capability um, just makes that, yard a little bit bigger right like you're not looking for a a, you know nationwide approach but you are looking to increase the footprint because i mean ultimately you want more people to taste the art that you're making um as i was kind of poking through you know you you've got a new distillery um do you have a new still or did you almost have a new still
1: (laughs) both yeah it's a that's a great question yeah we we do have a new still so uh, when when we moved um, from our original location, we were operating a 600-gallon system. We had three 600-gallon fermenters, a 600-gallon cooker, and a 600-gallon pot still from specific mechanical uh, there in Victoria, British Columbia. Uh, so when we moved, we sold all of the 600-gallon um, tanks with the exception of the the still, the The 600 gallon still. We now use that as our spirit still. That is our that is our finishing still. Uh, We upgraded our brew deck to a thousand gallon system. So we have four thousand gallon fermenters, a thousand gallon cooker, and we got a thousand gallon um, pot still from Vendome. And your use of the term almost is is really fitting because that still um, smacked off a, a an overpass uh on its way to pittsburgh from uh, louisville uh, on the brent spence bridge around cincinnati Uh, the trucking company put it on a flatbed um, still don't have the details on why they didn't check out the height and the route but uh, it smacked off a bridge at about 45 miles an hour sustained a lot of damage um, put us another month or so behind schedule but vendome you know they took care of it. They fixed it. Uh, it Looks as good as new. They they uh, they they got us down there to witness the factory certification tests on after the repairs had been done. So you know those guys have a reputation and it's well deserved for for their quality. Uh, they do great work.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm sure there are probably cheaper ways to go on trying to purchase a still, but at the end of the day, you're buying uh, quality, and especially if you're wanting to kind of put your name on the line for a particular product. Um, you know, when, when, when you began the process of building a distillery, did you imagine it would grow to this level or did you have, you know, is, is there a further goal that you had at the beginning or is it just like, we'll see what happens?
1: No, I mean, literally the, 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 the original business plans were, you know, a mom and pop distillery for, you know, for my wife and I's kind of retirement, uh, activity. Um, you know, plans change when, when our son's, joined the business, right? They're, they're both, uh, they're both married with young families. And, you know, the trajectory, you know, has to change. You have to grow the business to support, you know, to support that sort of um, you know, um you know, family life. And and that's when when we really first with a with an expansion at our original location, we we started with a 300 gallon system uh upsized that to a 600 gallon system in 2019 and then almost immediately realized we we needed even bigger so we started planning this current move
0: so um you you begin distilling and right now you guys have you know you have you have corn whiskey you have bourbon you have rye um did did you set out trying to make a bourbon, trying to make a corn whiskey, trying to make a rye, Um, you know, how do you come to the different spirits that you've decided to, to distill? And um, I guess that's the question. How how do you decide, you know, this is the one we're going to go after?
1: Yeah. You know, honestly, those were, those, uh, all those whiskeys that you mentioned, um, and you didn't mention the peated bourbon, they were all, um, you know, mash bills that, that I had been running on my 15 gallon hobby still. Um, you know, we, you know, I, I always felt like even though we're in Pennsylvania and, you know, Pennsylvania is a traditionally, um, rye centric state. Uh, I always felt that we really, uh, if we were going to do whiskey, we should, we should have a diversified whiskey portfolio. So, you know, I, I always wanted to do a bourbon. Um, I, I, I love a good corn whiskey, not enough distilleries make corn whiskey. Um, but, you know, even even with the plan to do these diversified whiskeys, um, we still wanted to be a little bit different. And, you know, w- we didn't set out to make Kentucky bourbon, right? We use, A, we're, we're using a pot still, B, we're using uh, bloody butcher corn, which is, you know, a, a non-GMO heirloom varietal that just has a, just an incredible flavor profile and and we love it. So, you know, so while we do want to have a, you know, kind of a, across the board whiskey portfolio, we still want to be unique and a little bit different from, from the main, the heritage brands.
0: So you, you touched on that. You, you guys do feature bloody butcher corn. Was it explicitly flavor profile or were there other considerations of why um, you guys chase down bloody butcher as your corn source?
1: It was, it was mainly flavor profile. Um, at the time, at the time it was, it was also, um, you know, incredibly unique. Uh, we didn't know of anybody else that was using it at the time. Uh, since then others have, uh, have come out with, um, with bloody butcher, uh, uh, whiskeys. Uh, you know, we actually, we actually found a, um, a pretty legendary Western Pennsylvania moonshiner uh, and had a meeting with him, and just talking about you know different different grains and different types of whiskey, and and he was adamant that we needed to find a farmer to grow bloody butcher corn for us because he said you know it you will just love the uh, you know you'll love the flavor profile, and and he was right we we absolutely do
0: so it it's a good question there did you have to find a farmer or was there an abundance of bloody butcher in the area that that allowed for you to be able to purchase it?
1: No, we had to find a farmer we We had to find a farmer um we found a we found a young a young family, a young guy who uh, was farming his family's uh, land, and we reached out to him and and he said that you know he he had no experience um growing a a non gmo heirloom crop he didn't know if he could do it and i guess he was sitting around the family dinner table one night and it's really a, a heartwarming story but i guess the guy's grandfather who um hadn't farmed in in years uh, his eyes lit up and he said jeremy i can help you i can i can show you how to how to how to plant and grow this grain and um, yeah it was re- it was really neat so this guy this guy uh you know planted our first crop of bloody butcher corn on i think 9 acres and um great story
0: you, are you i guess you know given your your capacity to distill is there a risk that you're going to outgrow his capacity to supply corn
1: yeah we already have um okay. so so uh, two 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 growing seasons ago um you know we we had to talk with Jeremy. and at that point he had um he had kind of transitioned into more of a gentleman farmer. He had a full- time job, and he wasn't sure that he could accommodate us. We weren't sure that he could accommodate us. We viewed it as a pretty big risk. so we um we reached out to our our good friend Herman Mahalich of uh, Dad's hat whiskey. Uh, Herman is a native western Pennsylvania, even though Dad's hat is in. Bucks County, but Herman uh, made an introduction to his farmer uh, for us, and um, we now use uh, Nevada uh, to uh, to grow our both our bloody butcher corn and our rye.
0: Mm-hmm. So, if you you know you've got uh, a myriad of things that you distill do you have one that is like you, you, you prefer to distill it or you, you always kind of, you know, when you're a hobby distilling, did you like one better than the other?
1: I, I liked bourbon rise tough to work with. Um, that said, if, if you, you know, if you kind of put me in a corner and, and told me we could only distill one whiskey, um, I would have to fall back to my, you know, Pennsylvania pride and, 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 you know we would choose to be a rye distillery um mm-hmm. based on you know where we're at and and i and i think i think we make a, a you know a fabulous rye and um i think rye from pennsylvania just gets a little bit more traction than bourbon from pennsylvania even though i think we, we make a great bourbon too but rye just has has that uh you know has that appeal
0: it has that regionality that in that, that, the history yeah. that's connected to it. And I mean, it, you know, I've, I've talked about this way, way back in the beginning of my podcast. But if we really look at it like rye is the the first whiskey of the United States, right? We're all like this is bourbon country. But at the end of the day, um, back when Kentucky was still Virginia, we were making a lot of rye then too, right? Because that was the, the primary yep. grain. But um, your your current rye that you have is, and this is a quotation from the website, it's, it's crafted in the style of a traditional Mon- Monongahela rye whiskey. Uh, what does that mean?
1: So, you know, your guess is as good as mine is as good as any of the historians. There there was not any kind of handwritten definition of monogahela rye. It is generally um considered to be rye whiskey that was made in the monongahela valley which is pretty much western pennsylvania um and it was made from a mash bill of predominantly rye uh some people would also say that predominantly rye um with no corn um you know we're kind of of the opinion that you know if you were a farmer in the 1700s and you owned a still and you had extra corn, you, you were going to distill that. You weren't going to keep that out of your whiskey to to make a true Monongahela rye. So, you know, t- today's interpretation of Monongahela rye generally is high rye, maybe no corn, pot distilled. Uh, hmm. That That's, that's. I think that that covers pretty much the current definition.
0: So what, what is, is it, are you 100% rye?
1: No, we're not. We, um... We have a mash bill of seventy four percent rye, uh, and and actually that's broken down into sixty one percent rye and thirteen percent malted rye. So um, so that's a total of seventy four percent rye. We have thirteen percent wheat and thirteen percent malt. So do you, um, do
0: you have a preferred rye that you use, or is it just whatever rye is available?
1: Whatever rye is available. Yeah, yeah. Um, that said, we we do have. You know, we do have a couple of uh, um, distillations under our belt using rose and rye. We just, mm-hmm. um, we just did a week's worth of rose and rye uh, last month. Um, we have a, a barrel of rose and rye that will turn four years old uh, this year. So so we're really excited about, you know, potentially having the first, uh, you know, bottled and bond or four year old rose and rye since prohibition. Um, but yeah, uh, the 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 rye is 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 um whatever variety the farmer happened to plant that year.
0: So the 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 ros- the rosin rye that you have, where did you source those grains from?
1: That comes from um, that comes from Dancing Star Farms, um, Bob McDonald, uh, part of the the Lara Fields uh, uh, project, uh, Delaware Valley Fields, to kind of resuscitate that grain from a seed bank. So, so all of our all of our rose and ride distillations have come from from Bob McDonald and Dancing Star mm-hmm. Farms.
0: Yeah, I asked that. I, I asked that, and you know, I already knew the answer to it. You know, I've I've listened to distillers talk. I've listened to a bunch of different episodes you've been on, and um, I've talked about that specific rye riddle before with Ari Sussman uh, in uh, Michigan right, and what he's right. got going on uh, with his his crazy experiment. And so you you're I guess ha- have you tasted the four year recently? Like, is is there like optimism that this is the year? Or?
1: Yes, it's it's fabulous. Uh, it, we, you know, we we have you know regularly kind of been bottling three, three and a half, four year old rye, and um, Lou Bryson always talks about, um, oh, uh, a famous brewer distiller. Um, i wish i could remember the guy's name but but the quote that he says is the world will soon discover the beauty of young rye whiskey and um you know i think uh you know th- this rose and rye that we have we we would have proudly could have proudly bottled that already it's it's delicious but we're so close to you know hitting kind of a a, a, a you know a statement age for us mm-hmm. that you know we're we're Fingers crossed that it doesn't turn. I don't think it will. I think it's just going to keep getting better.
0: Yeah, and that's. I mean, the the that's that's one of the the things that all the whiskey nerds are like. We're all anxiously awaiting. Like, who's going to get there first? You know, how am I? What am I going to have to do to get a bottle? Right? Am I have to send somebody on an airplane? Like, what's what's going to happen here? Because it's 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 the nerdy stuff. I think. Um, but I will say, you know, I, I, you guys were gracious enough to share quite a few samples with me. And this um, barrel proof rye, the, the single barrel barrel proof rye, is one of the yep. best ryes that I've had in a year. Uh, and um, I was working on my 2023, you know, best of tastes. And I didn't get I didn't get to try this one until the beginning of the year. So it doesn't make it into the 2023, but I can damn assure you that it will be on the 24 for sure, because it is <laughs> it is you. phenomenal. It is absolutely phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you know, I,
1: I um, think I, I really love the way that Laura um, kind of organized this Rosen um, distribution. Uh, she got it to different distillers who have different styles and different mash bills. You know, I know, mm-hmm. you know, Stolen Wolf was, you know, the first to release a Rosen rye. Um, you know, they they run a column still. They have a different mash bill. So so I'm really looking forward to when these are more readily available from Kind of the cross section of distillers that are working with the grain, just to see the differences and the nuances from mm-hmm. different distillation styles and different mash bills.
0: Yeah, it's it, it's going to end up being like baseball cards, where you you got to collect them all, right? So if if you're right. you know a, a a rye aficionado, you've got to have one of everything you can possibly get your hands on. Um, right. One of the other things uh, that that you guys have worked on is, is peating, right? Um, you've, you've had a peated rye. You've had a, you have a peated bourbon as your standard offering. You have had a peated rye as a, as a special offering. Um, introducing a peated rye or peated bourbon or peated rye or peated, peat in general into American whiskey. What was, what was your hope there?
1: Again, you know, having something that You can't get from Jim Beam or or Maker's Mark, you know, a a unique whiskey that um, you know. We we just had really noticed, and this actually, the story of our Peter Bourbon goes back to my hobby distilling days when I was, you know, I was making bourbon and rye and corn whiskey. But my wife is a, she's a uh, she's a bogger. She loves uh, Isla scotches. She the the smokier, the dirtier, the better. So uh, she came to me one day and said why don't you make me a you know a, a peated single malt and you know if you've ever home brewed you know that peated malt is not really a an ingredient that you can find in home brew stores um uh, which is where you know home distillers get their grains from so so I went to my home brew store and I I saw that they did have peated malt but it was in like quarter pound uh, bags and just the cost was more than I wanted to spend to make a 15-gallon uh, mash, so I thought, well, how about if I just add, you know, a, a little bit of peated malt to a bourbon mash, and, um, you know, it, it was actually really delicious, and that was the, you know, kind of the genesis of, of our peated bourbon, and when we put our business plan together, we just felt like, okay, you know, our goal is to to bring some unique whiskeys to market, and, you know, very, very few, if any, distillers had a peated bourbon at the time, and, um, you know, it's it's been, it's so funny, John. It, it is the, it is the the best whiskey people have ever had, or the worst whiskey people have ever had, depending on, the palate of the person that's trying it. You know, and um, we have thick skin in the distilling business, and and I know when I give that to people to taste, I know that, you know, not everybody's going to like it, but some people are going to love it, and and that's what we're trying to do with that.
0: You know, and and I think that that peating and and smoke in general. Um, is I I love that distilleries are starting to explore that. Um, uh, mainly because I I would challenge that a lot of the people that you know that are bourbon or rye drinkers that are traditional, and they taste peat and they're like, oh, I hate this. If you bring them a really, really nice smoked pulled pork sandwich, they'll go nuts for it. But the problem is, is that there's a lot of similar flavor profiles, at least in light peating. Um, they just look at whiskey, and they expect it to be sweet and sticky and syrup, and whenever you start adding in salinity and heaviness and, and and more unctuous flavors, it throws them way off. And if they come in without the preconceived notion that they hate peat, a lot of your barbecue lovers end up also liking peated whiskeys in general. And I, you know, I, 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 like that everybody's not everybody, there is a small quantity of people. It's not, a, it's definitely not an everybody. There's a lot of people that are not doing it that, um, that it's an exploration. Um, but you know, your, your, wife was, was the Pete person and, and I'm guessing you weren't. And so, you know, was there some, you know, some, uh, um, area in between what she liked peat and that you didn't like peat and that's where you wanted to land? Or, um, as you kind of continue this process, are you going to increase your peat or you just sort of stuck with, this is the flavor we're going to use?
1: So, so we really like, we really like the, the, the mash bill that we're using both for the peated bourbon and the peated rye. Um, what we are finding, and, and I think this is true for, you know, for single malts is that the older the whiskey gets the more the peat kind of fades into the background um Mm -hmm. and so so that's a challenge that i think we're going to have to you know figure out as as our whiskeys get to that four five six year old um um age is maybe we don't want to let that the peated bourbon sit as long because we you know it it only has about a 30 percent uh percent of peated malt in the mash bill so there's not a lot there to begin with and as that starts to fade when it gets older, um, we may, we may, we may want to pull those barrels a little bit earlier, maybe store them on the bottom uh, floor of the Rick House as opposed to the fifth floor. So, so those are all things that, that we kind of have in our notebook to, to watch as, as these barrels mature.
0: Yeah, and it definitely is the the peated bourbon is definitely a a great entry point for a person who's not because I am not a person who's super super comfortable with smoke. Um, I'm tr- I'm trying to ease myself into it because very much Western Kentucky kid grew up on you know bourbon and um, Kentucky rye, sure. which is sort of still just bourbon. Um, but the 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 peating on this is not so much that if you find a person who doesn't like peat that it throws them way off, um, but I, I you are right that it is a little bit light. You know, if I put this in um, a stack with some other ones, you know, I uh, I had an opportunity to put this alongside of uh, a whiskey witch, which is you know uh, Alan Bishop was doing out of uh, French Lick, and uh, I I got to the point where I felt like I was just tasting uh, another bourbon at this point because there's a very the whiskey witch had more you know smoky acrid flavors than that, and so you, it almost got dwarfed right. in it, but. um all that to say, it is it is a great entry point for, I think, for people who are unfamiliar with peat. Um, because walking in and trying to buy a peated scotch, if you've never had a scotch before or a peat, um, is super scary. Uh, but it's a great place to be. But uh, one of the things that I've learned recently is, you know, we have peat in the United States. Have, have you considered trying to work with someone in Pennsylvania to pick up some Pennsylvania peat and do some malting? Or is that a, just a... the a thing that is just too far to to try to have happen.
1: You know, we we've discussed that kind of just at a very conceptual ideas phase, but um uh, I I would I would love to to kind of explore that. I really would. I, I at this point though, I I I I've only heard of peat bogs in the Pacific Northwest. I I know that um Alan has, you know, uncovered some in Indiana. Uh, I don't know of any in Pennsylvania, but yeah, it's definitely something we would we would like to consider.
0: Well, and and what I've what I've come across because after I heard that and I heard that specifically from Alan the first time, you know, he was like, "Yeah, there's there's peat in the United States." I start Googling like where all where you know where is their peat. Most of the a lot of the time, the peat ends up being in um, national or state parks, right? Because there are a lot of wetland areas or whatever, and so right. having access to it is pretty limited. And I think that right. is the case with Pennsylvania. I think there's some, but it's in like you know government owned wetlands. Um, but okay. maybe a, a little bit of a hard shift but you you've you've mentioned this before um sort of mentioned it uh, have you guys considered are you exploring the idea of doing a single malt with the rise of American single malt in the united States?
1: yeah we actually have um we actually have a couple batches um in barrels right now um, those were collaborative um projects with local breweries um mm-hmm. we do not have a uh, you know we don't have a, a a false bottom tank. We don't have a sparging um, operation. So the the problem with American single malt, and we do like most American distillers, we do everything on grain. But okay. you know malt is 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 tough because the the husks are are very tannic and bitter, and and if you leave the grain in your you know in your mash during fermentation and distillation. Um, and we did that. We did a we did a single malt um early on where we didn't quite understand that concept yet and And I will tell you that single malt is our oldest barrel in the Rick house now. It's uh, coming up on seven years old. Um, and the only reason it's still still in barrels is because it's just not, you know, It's not ready for for public uh, consumption, Um, Mm -hmm. you know. So that was a lesson that we learned, and you know, we're 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 just kind of watching that. But uh, in in the interim, then we we reached out to a couple local brewers and had them had them brew some some nice non hopped beers for us, and um, you know, we've got a few of those uh, that are approaching four years old now. Um, Delicious. We have some ideas uh, on. How to make our own single malts using? We have a centrifuge that we use to separate the grain um, from our stripping run. Um, we're, we're we're thinking that maybe we could use that centrifuge to separate the grain after the mashing, before it goes into the fermenter. So, so that's a project for 2024. If we can pull that off, we're definitely going to going to incorporate you know, more single malts into the portfolio.
0: Okay. So there's, this, this will be maybe a little bit of a hard shift, but um, early on and you continue to, um, you guys had a, a pretty good focus on uh, cocktails. And I think I've heard either you or your wife say, you know, it was a, it was a great way to feature younger whiskeys, um, you know, yes. at least within your current operation. Um, what, Cocktail would be the best feature for your bourbon.
1: An old fashioned. um, Mm -hmm. uh, We we you know we do and and you know to to kind of backtrack just a a a couple you know a couple feet on that. Yeah, we we I, I tell I tell a lot of other people that are interested in distilleries to you know to really focus on you know a cocktail program because that. That bought us—I I, I don't want to say time, but it—it it, it helped us um, gain ambassadors and gain fans, and and kind of—we um, were always proud of our whiskey. Um, but you know, whiskey out of a five-gallon barrel—you um, know—I don't know that I would—I would use that same business model if I were starting again. But having a, a really amazing cocktail program that my wife put together—that um, really helped it really helped smooth over that period and and we just gained so many fans and and turned so many people into into whiskey uh whiskey lovers that um you know it's definitely it's definitely something that i recommend to all other distillers if you if your state allows you to have a cocktail program you know it is it is definitely worthwhile um yeah and- yeah uh, you know you asked specifically for bourbon i You know, I said old fashioned. I'm going to backtrack on that one, too, because that's really a rye. Uh, We make really great rye old fashions. Um, A a bourbon cocktail. I love a Boulevardier. Um, That's that's kind of my go to cocktail when I when I go out. I think our bourbon really, really hits all the right notes with uh, with the Campari and the vermouth.
0: Yeah, so you already touched it then because I was going to say the exact same thing for rye, right? That was going to be the next question is what's, what's going to go in yeah. there. Um, and then yeah. peated bourbon, right? Th- is it still a Boulevardier for peated bourbon or is it a different cocktail for that?
1: No, I'll, I'll tell you that the, the peated bourbon, um, we make a, uh, a penicillin. Um, uh, w- mm-hmm. We change cocktails every month and, and one of the months we always have a penicillin cocktail that you know penicillin is a traditional scotch cocktail that that you know it's it's a little bit of um lemon and ginger and scotch and then it has an isla float on the top to give it a little bit of a a smokiness Uh, but we we just use our peated bourbon as as the entire whiskey content of that drink and um uh, it's the way it plays with the you know, with the ginger and and the the the, um, the lemon, it's fantastic. The peated bourbon is is the surprise cocktail whiskey because when we started, um, I I really envisioned that as much more of just a neat or a you know an ice uh, sipping whiskey, but it it it's made it's it's the whiskey base of some of our most popular cocktails. Um, it really is a nice a nice whiskey for a cocktail.
0: You know, and, I, and I'll, I'll say this I, I spent a little bit of time kind of poking through some of the YouTube videos that you guys had generated um, during the pandemic around cocktail creation and, and uh, the Dalgana that your wife made on YouTube. I think oh, that was your yeah. wife that you made on YouTube yes. has me really questioning um, this idea that me and a fellow group of whiskey geeks geeks decided we were going to do it at the beginning of January, we were doing like this five month long, um, weight loss challenge. And that Dalgona almost broke me. It almost broke oh. me. I was like, this looks fantastic. And so, um, I'm going to save it for, for a cheat meal. Um, but it's, it's refreshing to see a, a brand lean into that because, um, that is the way that that you get people into whiskey that aren't into whiskey is usually through cocktails, you know, trying to, you know, say, Hey, here, drink this 110 proof rye whiskey that, um, is probably going to blow you out. It's not the right way, but it's also a much larger market. You know, people that want to drink cocktails, people that like whiskey also like cocktails, but people that like cocktails don't always like whiskey. Um, And so kind of exploring that is is a great thing. And it's a thing that you guys do in uh, on site because you do have the the cocktail program on site. Um, You appear to have, you know, from that that, uh, drone footage, you appear to have a really, really great. Um, experience when it. What time of the year should you know the average consumer, myself included, uh, come to visit at Liberty Pole?
1: You know, every season has has advantages. Um, it, we have beautiful uh, stonework and functioning fireplaces, and we had this amazing snowfall on Saturday here, and it was it was so nice to sit in front of the back chairs with the fire going and, and sipping on a, on a Manhattan while it was snowing outside. love that. Um, summertime we have uh, we have a really nice outdoor uh, patio drinking space. Again with an outdoor fireplace we have if you're a cigar smoker we have a separate cigar smoking area uh, outside too. so uh, so summer's you know really nice if you're if you're you know more of an outdoors person.
0: Yeah, and, and I'll say, you know, this is maybe a, a statement for for the fellow Southerners that, that happen to listen or watch this. Snow scares us, right? Because um, we don't know how to drive on snow and ice. Um, when you only get three or four days a year to practice, you never really get good at it, and your state slash city is never prepared to handle it. But um, traveling to a place like Pennsylvania, largely, I mean, it, there's a system that's been in place for a long time. It, it kind of makes things a little bit better. Um You also do some special releases and those are, are in usually in the distillery as well. Um, You've had, you know, spiced whiskey, you've got single barrels, a high rye bourbon, a peated rye. Um, Are there any other upcoming special releases that you can talk about that might be coming in 24 that somebody might want to plan their visit around as well?
1: Yeah, we, you know, that, that's part of what we really tried to hold on to, even with the you know, it logistically it becomes a little harder to experiment when you, you know, have a bigger system and you need more grain and you know it it it's tough. But you know, we still try to dedicate, you know, 15% of our yearly mashes to um you know to experimental whiskeys. And and you know, right now, actually I, I I thought that question might come up, so I'm prepared for it. We have um aging in our Rick House right now. Um you know, we have the high rye bourbon and you you made a comment just a few minutes ago about the Kentucky rye being basically a bourbon. And so that always offended us, right we We hated that fifty one percent rye rye whiskey. so so we turned the tables and made a fifty one percent corn bourbon with a forty percent rye content um called that a Pennsylvania bourbon. Um, mm-hmm. We do a mesquite rye every year uh didn't didn't have one this year because, it just it, it wasn't ready it didn't taste uh didn't taste like it was ready so we we kept that for another year but that's you know we get some mesquite smoked malt um we do our peated rye every year uh that one uh fred minnick uh put that at number 50 in his top 100 whiskies uh recently uh, the uh, all things whiskey podcast based out of Denver, Mike Outcult, um, named our peated rye his whiskey of the year this year in 2023. So that was pretty cool. Um, we just released a peated rye in an Oloroso sherry barrel. We just re- released a peated bourbon out of a Curacao barrel. Um, we've got a four grain bourbon. We have a Hickory King white corn bourbon. Um, we have a chocolate malted rye. Uh, I mentioned we have the, a couple single malts. We've done a couple batches of a uh, MGP style 95 five rye. We've even played with a couple sour mash um, weeks. We did we sour mash some rye and we sour mash some bourbon. And um, you know, in terms of finishing, we we got some really great um, uh, funky rum barrels from Martinique, and we're we're doing some uh, rum finished ryes as well as some toasted barrel uh finished rice, double oak
0: yeah so you you touched on i don't on know whether the they're finishes. all gonna i
1: i don't no. know if they'll all be out in 2024 but you know a, a good number of them will make an appearance this <laughs> year
0: yeah you you touched on all the finishes that i knew about and then a whole bunch more that you guys have working on um you know finished finished whiskey seems to be a, a, an area for growth for a lot of folks in, in 2024 um and you know with with your you also have single barrels, you know, um with the single barrels named like tarragon, pineapple, greedy Ghost, right. sweet Peat, holiday embers. These all sound uh, fantastic. and it makes me super happy that um any person can fly up with, with up to five liters of of whiskey and check baggage, right? And so, regardless of where you live, there's an opportunity to carry these things back. But um if I were to come um come to the distillery, uh, what should I expect from the experience on site or, or in the area? I know you've talked about sort of the, the way everything is, but as far as, you know, uh, other food uh, places to say whiskey, cause I saw that you guys have, you know, partners on your website, you know, for, for lodging and whatnot. Um, and then I think finally there may be a, a festival that happens during the summertime.
1: So, so our new location is, is kind of in the, in the, you know, the, the, the heartbeat of of washington county we are uh, on on a um a wide you know we're we're just minutes off of interstate 79 which is the main north south interstate um and interstate 70 which you know you could take interstate 70 all the way out to denver colorado and beyond so two major interstates we're literally minutes off of either one of them um we're right next to a, a a pretty popular casino uh, and anytime there's a casino in play, there's lots of hotel beds, and, and so we have, um, you know, we have some deals uh, that that people can mention Liberty Pole at a couple of the local hotels, and you know, get some get some um, you know get some deals on, on rooms. Um, as far as you know, our experience and and we lean heavily into that experiential um, nature of distilleries. Um, we try to um we try to really um give people uh you know besides making good whiskey you know you i think you need to do more than that these days so so we've built a you know we call it the meeting house but it is our you know it is our 18th century themed um, tasting room cocktail bar we serve small bites there uh, we have a tasting room um a bottle shop that that we do complimentary tastings of all of our spirits. Um, we do tours four days a week. You can take a tour that goes through the production floor, uh, goes into the Rick house, ends with a, a seated flight tasting. We're just putting the finishing touches on a on a barrel thiefing experience tour. We're gonna call it the immersive Rick house tasting uh, where you'll be able to go in and we'll thief uh, three different barrels for tastings and. And allow people to to fill a bottle with, uh, you know, with whatever barrel kind of they 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 like the most. So, lots of things we're we're trying to, you know, we we know we're not on the bourbon trail. We're not in Kentucky, but you know, if, if you live if you live in, you know, in, in from Erie to Philadelphia to, you know, we're, we're a much shorter drive than driving to Louisville. So, you know, so we're trying to give yeah. people that full immersive soup to nuts experience without making that long drive to to Kentucky
0: well it it definitely feels like you're positioned um to have a fantastic onsite experience and from the the images and the videos that I've seen uh, looks fantastic, and it's it's a great opportunity to to knock another state off. And you know, I, I like going to to Louisville and Lexington as much as the next person. But at the end of the day, um, we're still you know pivoting around Kentucky whiskey, right? Which is going to be primarily bourbon. Um, and even when you're doing bourbon in Pennsylvania, you're still aging in a different uh, location with a different um, type of 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 climate. And you're using a pot still, which is going to be, you know, and there's this term "craft" that's often kind of used as an insult, and I don't think it is. Um, it's it's just a different flavor profile that comes off of column versus pot, and you know, vodka's made off column, so you could you could say a lot of things about it. But at the end of the day, it's 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 fantastic to have. Other variations of whiskey to be able to try, and so um, you know, I've uh, I've already sort of looked at you know what does that trip look like for me and my family in the next you know couple of years because it's uh, a fantastic area with a lot of rich history as it is, and then I can tag in a little bit of a, a whiskey excursion. Um, it's super fantastic. And I, I, I appreciate the time that you've given me today. If you've got anything else that you want to cover, um, you know, you guys have a website, you have a Facebook, you have an Instagram. I think you even have a Twitter, uh, maybe, um, or X or whatever it's called these days. I'm not really yeah. sure. I'm yeah. old enough to say that now, I guess. Um, is, is there anything else you wanted to, to share with folks before we, uh, call it, call it a day?
1: As, as I mentioned in our little pre-talk, I, I, I had full confidence that you were going to cover everything that, um, that we wanted to talk about and, and you, you did. So, uh, I've got nothing. You, you, you really did a good job, John.
0: Okay. Well, I appreciate it. Um, I'm going to hit pause on this. And like I said, thank, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Thanks for tuning in to this offering from the Embellished Pod. Uh, if you have enjoyed this, please leave me a review on whatever platform that you're consuming this on. Leave a comment if possible. Hit me up on social media at TikTok or Instagram using Embellish Pod. Give me a follow and you can keep what's going on here. I can also be found at www.embellishpod.com with all of my links, accounts, and contact details. Thanks for hanging out today.